you are listening to the art of the matter hosted by arvind vijay mohan ladies and gentlemen welcome to art of the matter a show where we give you an insider's view into all that matters within the indian art world and introduce you to this domain's most interesting personalities on today's episode we speak to abhay maskara one of the foremost voices from the indian art world whose gallery program has strictly and strongly followed a focus mission statement to exhibit and promote art of the present abhay has bravely championed artists whom he believes are relevant in the present time whose works constantly challenge and inspire the viewer please join me in welcoming abhay wonderful to have you on the show thank you so much for your time it's it's wonderful to be speaking to you it's a pleasure amen thank you for having me abhay i'd like to start at the very start so can you tell me about uh, how you came to be engaged with art you know was there a background in the family uh, you know when how did this journey begin well you know the journey journey in art has been both uh, scripted as well as uh, quite serendipitous if you will Okay. Uh, you know, in school, art was a subject that you know people usually ignore. But I was pretty fond of art. I paid attention. I would look forward to the class, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, after the class, I would uh, take a lot of interest and make a sincere effort at uh, you know uh, reproducing drawings of old masters such as Rembrandt and Da Vinci from right. books and posters, magazines, and I would actually spend hours and hours away, locked up in my room, and then I would emerge. with uh, you know uh, almost photocopies of drawings uh, much to the delight of my father and my and my mother who would be wondering what am i doing in this shut space for six <laughs> seven hours without food water uh, but anyway so anyway it was one of those things that i just enjoyed doing mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah and then and then even though i knew drawing was not really for me i was good at imitating and copying Mm-hmm. uh drawings and i was actually fairly conversant with that but i was not really enjoying that process i found it too laborious and uh, you know not so interesting maybe right. i was just not good enough to create my own hmm. and really it was a chance encounter with uh, with a whole series of time life books my right. father had a vast collection of books on every subject that you can think of hmm. and there you know he had this set of time life books you know on western artists from durer to duchamp i started to read those books you know i found myself naturally drawn to impressionism and contemporary art at that time right and that's how i entered the lives of uh, you know great artists such as durer and uh, you know velasquez and goya and monet and you know gauguin and, and you know van gogh and so on and so forth and that's how i really got uh, you know involved with a new world that i had not really known so well you know you can say that's what gave me a kind of a you know impetus to go deeper into art in my travels I spent a lot of time in museums rather than in amusement parks and malls <laughs> and even in my you know early early 90s like I'm talking about 91 92 I'd spent two weeks in Chicago mm-hmm. and uh, 10 days out of those two weeks were spent at the Art Institute of Chicago I remember coming face to face with uh, you know an iconic painting called a Sunday afternoon on the island of Lagrange Jatte yeah beautiful uh, it's, yes. it's, it's an unmatched painting by sura it's works like that and other works at the institute which really caught my attention and it uh, you know it just transported me to a new world you know you can say that that's where the love story really started right you know it started with books it started with you know school books 
And then, of course, you know, coming into physical contact with these great pieces of art in, uh, in you know, in, in these wonderful museums. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was still a teenager, still very impressionable. And then, you know, these works had a great and profound impact on me. Mm-hmm. That's really the seed. Right. And then, of course, you know, from the time I started to work and I started to make some money, all that money went into buying art. Right. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's, it was one thing to now know about the art. It was one thing to... To you know, uh, get closer to the process, but I wanted to actually live with uh, with with original works. So uh, you know, all of that theory, all of that history, all of that uh, you know, uh, being in the presence of these great masters, uh, you know, that automatically converted into wanting to live with art. So that's kind of been the journey. Uh, the early journey has been that, and then of course it it went through its own metamorphosis of uh, collecting for a long time, and then uh, writing and curating. And, uh, you know, then that's what I've been doing ever since. Quite fascinating. Uh, Abhay, do you remember the first work of art you purchased? Of course you do. Of course. It was a 1956 Tusa head. It was a demonic head that I bought <laughs> for a, you know, princely sum, which seems paltry now, but it was a princely sum of 75,000 rupees. This was, I would say, in about uh, 1994, right. uh, I think. I didn't even have that kind of money to pay for once. So of course I bought the work in installments and only once the full money was paid, then I actually took the work from the gallery. Well, you can say that was my first uh, significant work. I may have bought something, you know, prior to that, but the, but my memory of the first real work of art that I bought, which had any significance was this. And of course, when I got it home, uh, people were aghast. My family was, <laughs> they thought I'd gone mad. What's wrong with him? The rupees for me was a large sum of money at that time. Of course, yeah. And uh, you know, when they saw that work, uh, they really thought it'd gone a bit cuckoo. Uh, so of course, I was not allowed to put it out. So it, it, it was in my bedroom. And, you know, I lived with that work in secrecy for a long, long time. Right. Uh, because of course, nobody would, nobody wanted to have that in, in public display. So where does it hang now? Now it's probably with somebody else because unfortunately and sadly so, you know, I had to recycle that work so that I could, uh, you know, focus on some of my more contemporary art practices. It's wonderful to sort of think about this journey starting from the pages of, you know, these these beautiful books that fortunately, you know, were were close at hand. Uh, mm. you know, moving into museums and, and, you know, spaces across the world. Tell us about um, the journey in India, you know, spotting talent in, in the country um, that was perhaps not being recognized. We'll, we'll come to the part of your uh, making a shift from being just an observer and a collector. Tell us about, you know, in the, in, the, in the journey leading up to becoming a promoter, about that, you know, that early run where you were seeing this talent around you. Tell us about that. Of course, I was traveling a lot. So I was seeing a lot of a lot of art, the mecca of art in Europe and in the US. Mm-hmm. I was going to New York and spending time at the MoMA and the Institute of Art Institute of Chicago and Frankfurt and Berlin. So I was very well conversant with Western art, but not so much so with Indian art. Sure, Be- you know, partly because it was a very nascent time. There was not a lot of literature on art at that time on Absolutely. Indian art. Yes, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of you know, very few museum shows that were happening around. So, Correct. you know, just the, there was a paucity of material uh, and there were also very, very few spaces that one could go to, to actually see uh, art. There were you know yes. two or three uh, good galleries. So it wasn't a lot of uh, uh, possibility in terms of Indian art, but there were some early tastemakers. I had the good chance of knowing some people who introduced me to the world of Indian art. And that's kind of where my journey started because of course I was very curious. I was very hungry. I was very interested but I just didn't know where to start. 
it was much easier to get into the lives of these great uh, you know western artists but not so much so the indian artists so actually i was a bit handicapped mm-hmm. but like i said i was fortunate that uh, you know i met a uh, few people who uh, who who kind of you know held my hand and and said look let's let's go together to to galleries to shows and and you know and really introduced me to galleries to to artists and uh, you know i was very fortunate mm. that i met uh, you know uh, the kind of people i did because mm. you know of course i was young i was enthusiastic people could see uh, you know that i was really interested and there weren't that many people who were actively buying or collecting art in a serious way yes uh, or at least wanted to even look at art in a serious way Absolutely. so i guess uh, the galleries Uh, as well as uh, you know people around were it was a very very small community all very supportive and i think it just you know i was maybe just in the right place at the right time you know the early 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 90s was mm-hmm. just a fabulous time to be looking at a lot of original material which was still available you know we had a picking in terms of you know what 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 we wanted to to buy and not for large sums of money so so it it really started with uh, you know going to going to galleries and going to shows and you know just getting acquainted with uh, you know what artists closer home were actually you know making abhi you know we all know you as this as this incredible gallerist with with quite the eye but tell us about about your professional uh, uh, adventures before you became a gallerist you you mentioned you were in chicago could you could you tell us about your years overseas and you know what you were doing professionally yeah i come from a you know quote and quote business family yes. uh even though i i knew very early on that i was never cut out to be a business person i was much more interested in the aesthetic uh, world in the world of art and the world of culture but of course you know we we came from that very traditional background that traditional setup so the expectation was that i would join the family business which i i certainly didn't i went to study abroad i went to the us uh even though i did my masters in management you know it was more of a you know that's something that we were all supposed to do we came from a certain background a certain family so it was one of those things that you just did so while i enjoyed my time there i actually used my experience and my time there really like i said to to spend more time in museums and galleries i'm really uh, quite grateful for the opportunity and then i came back uh, to india uh, in 2005 while i was still collecting a lot of art and then i want to go deeper and go further and of course i knew i could never be an artist but the closest i thought i could be to art was to actually curate art and work with artists at a deeper level sure. and then i came back to india with the view of uh, you know spending my time and and energy in uh, you know furthering art in the way i knew how right. uh, which is to work with contemporary art and artists who are Uh, not necessarily mainstream but working on the edges of creativity sure. who were pushing the boundaries the aesthetic boundaries and were saying things which uh, you know i felt needed to be seen and the voices needed to be heard hmm. and that's how i you know decided to uh, to open a gallery and curate shows you know work with a set of artists whose uh, you know works uh, inspired me and, and and i just wanted to share that with the world Right um you know abhi my earliest memory uh, of you was when the gallery had just opened uh, mm-hmm. you know first of all everything about it was unique the address the dimension the the manner in which you presented it of course the art that you showed within it could you um, could you tell uh, you know those listening in about the space itself because i i i think uh, that was that was an incredible part of the entire uh, 
uh, muskrat experience sure you know again uh, you know having spent so much time in uh, you know in places like uh, london and new york and you know seeing these beautiful spaces i knew i wanted to and the kind of art i want to present uh, you know i came back to india and i actually spent close to 9 months looking for a space that uh, you know i found affinity with and it came after a lot of search and a lot of research and you know uh, so so i found this space this uh, you know what used to be a motor repairs garage it was a <laughs> it was a turn of the century uh, warehouse cotton right. warehouse that was built during the time of the british right. to store cotton before it was shipped to manchester yes. and then it changed hands and it became a uh, it became a motor repairs garage it is this cavernous space you know when you enter enter from the street it just feels like a nondescript uh, space correct uh, and then as soon as you enter it just opens up it's like a cathedralesque Absolutely. space with yes. a ceiling height of uh, you know 45 feet at the apex hmm. and uh, with with no with uh, with no uh, pillars or beams to to kind of break the space up it was 100 feet 100 feet in, in length and 30 feet in width and like i said it had sloping roofs going up to 45 feet so it yes. was this beautiful beautiful space but of course when i found it, it was completely derelict mm. you know there was the roof has uh, had partially blown uh, blown away uh, the walls were sunken in there was there was no flooring there was no water there was a water supply connection there was no sewage uh, mm. connections there was no electricity so it was like really a dump right so we had to literally raise it to the ground and then rebuild it Well, yeah, it was quite an effort, but I knew the moment I, I laid my eyes on it, I knew I had to have it. Yeah, that's how it began, and and then I wanted also a, a conservation architect to come and uh, you know uh, rebuild it to its original grandeur. While we didn't tear down the facade, but we 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 we, we essentially tore down everything else and we we rebuilt it to what it what we how we imagined it. that it was built by by the british originally sure. uh, so it was rahul mehrotra who uh, you know who also when he saw the space he was like a kid in a candy store <laughs> and i'm grateful to him and his team for actually you know persevering with us for two long years in actually building building it and you know bringing it to where we we wanted to how we wanted to uh, wanted it to be it was quite a special uh, quite a special time it was a job incredibly well done because i don't think there could have been a single human being walked in that space and was not blown away i think um, just the sheer um, just the sheer visual value it was so dramatic you know like you said you walk in from a street which was very uh, uh, which which had a very cool name it was on pasta lane uh, which in itself to me was fascinating but once you enter the space it, it completely blew your mind i can imagine you sort of walking in seeing the potential and then transforming it with you know a like minded uh, team um and you had this extremely explosive setting for what would become a very dramatic uh, you know venue uh, how did you how did you go about finding your talent you know that was equally explosive i think the two matched very beautifully uh, tell us about that aspect and i think this really is uh, something that would be a value to uh, you know those listening especially younger collectors Uh, as to what one must keep in mind uh, when they when they're looking at building a contemporary collection so you know here's a collector who's taking this leap into the into the realm of uh, promoting and is applying a similar lens you know uh, because you want to be passionate about what you're promoting what are these points that uh, you know you, you kept in mind when you decided uh, to start signing artists on who you wish to represent well you know uh, initially it was it was challenging and difficult because mm-hmm. of course i came into the art world uh, you know already knowing a lot of the 
people who were active in the art world. Mm-hmm. So whether it was galleries or curators or even artists of my generation. And initially, I started with, uh, you know, art of the West. I didn't right. really start the program yes. with, with art from India because there weren't artists that I found inspired enough to begin the program with. So, you know, I started uh, with a Canadian artist. Uh, his name is Max Stryker. Yes. He lives in Toronto. And we started, the, we, you know, we opened the gallery with his uh, solo show. And then I had a string of other shows from uh, Belgium and, and from uh, from Brazil. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, you know, my comfort zone really was in Western art, both uh, modern as well as contemporary. Modern more from a knowledge perspective and contemporary much more from a practical perspective because my travels took me to all these wonderful places. And uh, in my travels, I really did spend a majority of my time visiting uh, spaces which were art spaces. Mm-hmm. I had built relationships with uh, with uh, with artists, with uh, with curators and galleries outside the country, mm-hmm. and I was, you know, I was uh, fascinated by by, the, by by their practices, and and therefore uh, it was it was it was kind of easy for me to start uh, the gallery with with art that I I responded to and resonated with, but they just happened to be art from not from India, mm-hmm. and that was fine by me, uh, you know, as long as art, uh, you know, the art that I was showing touched me and moved me. And it was kind of, you know, pushing the bar. That's all that mattered. It was not about Indian or non-Indian. You know, those are all artificial brackets, which didn't really matter. Of course, while I was doing that, I was always looking for artists closer home. So I was always traveling to uh, to different parts of the country, seeking out art. It's all a progression. Uh, so it took time. Some of the artists I liked, I liked were already represented by other galleries. Yes. I, I didn't want to step on anybody else's toes by cherry picking and saying, hey, you know, here are the 10 great artists of the time who I already know. So I can just, you know, I have this great space and, you know, why not show them and start the program there? No, that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. I actually wanted to uh, to start the gallery with, uh, with artists who were literally born at the gallery. Hmm. So I was very clear that all my artists or majority of my artists would have their first solo show here. Hmm. So I wanted to discover new artists. And that's really what I set out to do. Of course, the rest is all history, but but I can I can say quite proudly that uh, that you know all the artists that we have shown hmm. uh, and that we represent and we we work with all had their first solo shows at Mascara. It became really about that relationship, you know, where we were where we were working with artists whose works were not shown for whatever reason, hmm. uh, and 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 of course there was something about their work which was positively charged, and you know. So if you ask me, what is it about? Why did I choose these works? I can't tell you why. It's just one of those things where I was almost compelled to show the work because it had such a profound impact on me when I visited the studio and I saw the work. It was not like a deliberation. It was almost like an impulse. I mean, there is no other choice, right? You just show what you love. Absolutely, yes. And, and, you know, of course, let me say what you love, you know, it comes from years of training. It comes, of course, from a trained eye, but also it comes from this combination of knowledge and intuition Mm-hmm. You need to have both. You need to know what came before you. You need to know about, you know, you need to know your art history. So, you know, you know, you know that the artists are not imitating some other artists, but then you also need to have this, or this tactile quality, this, this open heart, this open mind, this, you know, intuitive eye, you know, to really see, uh, you know, artists and their works for what they are. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's very hard to describe it in words, but, 
but it's this fine balance, this fine dance between knowledge and intuition. Mm-hmm. And when you have the two in some, you know, in a good measure, that's what I think allows you to to make, uh, you know, good decisions in terms of good art and not so good art. And, you know, how do I confront a work and, and know whether that work is right for me or not? The one common facet that I found uh, amongst a lot of art that you represented was there was a very visceral quality to them. You know, uh, not taking away the intellect, but what really hit me was that they were very raw, they were very honest. And and I completely, you know, understand the point you're making. Can you tell us about some of the uh, early encounters with, with your talent? That, that, you know, are there any, any uh, moments, any anecdotes, any memories of your first meeting uh, with, uh, with the, some of the talent that you went on to represent, where you just took a look and, you know, instantly... Certainly. I mean, my earliest and my strongest memory is uh, an artist who now we know quite well. Mm-hmm. Name is Steve Enkana. Yes. He's, uh, I was on a trip in Baroda and I was, I was there for three days and I was doing studio visits every day, 15, 20 studios. And uh, literally it was my third day going to leave the next uh, morning. And I had seen uh, over a hundred studios, maybe. I was not really compelled by anything that I saw. You know, there were some artists who were doing good work, but but like I said, nothing that nothing that really uh, captured my imagination. And I said, yeah. fine, that's the process. You know, I'd been there, done that, and uh, you know, there was a name on my on my shortlist, Steve Kanna, and uh, I was going to meet him. And then he was he was a bit sick. You know, he said he couldn't meet me, uh, and I said that's fine. I, you know, I, I I really had never encountered his work, didn't know him, but somehow he mustered the courage to uh, you know to to come to the studio, uh, even though he was not feeling so well. And uh, it was rather late in the evening. I think it was around 7.38. I was already exhausted from long days of visiting studios. And I reluctantly kind of went, but because he made an extra effort, I said, all right, you know, last studio visit. It was a very, very small, tiny studio, maybe 300 square foot at best. And I remember entering the studio and the studio was crammed. Literally every nook and cranny was was jam-packed with works. There were drawers full of drawings. Uh, paintings were rolled up and kept in, you know, in loft spaces. And there literally was no space to move without elbowing into a work. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and you know, within the first half an hour, I literally, in my mind's eye, I saw three solo shows in that 300, 350 square foot space. It was incredible. The amount of wow. work that was there and the way in which he was handling his work, not precious for him, but so, so very strong, you know, in terms of his renditions of, of line and form and language. You know, I knew instantly that was an artist that I would, I would go on to work with. After the 30 minutes or 45 minutes that we spent together, I immediately made him, made him an offer, hoping that he would not refuse. Right. Uh, saying that, look, I really do want to work with you. I love what I see. And yeah, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> He's been working, working with me since uh, 2008. It's been the most wonderful journey and he keeps going from strength to strength. And, uh, you know, I have to say he has uh, by far one of my most favorite contemporary artists. And, and you know, may I say he's also a torchbearer of his generation. I mean, an artist born in 1980. Mm-hmm. And I think he literally holds that generation, you know, in terms of the, the kind of you know, work that he does. And an artist that I'm, and I'm particularly proud of. Wonderful. I mean, you know, sometimes um, the best is saved for the last. Clearly, um, you know, this is, this is one of those cases where if you'd not had the studio visit, I, I wonder how you know, things would have turned out. You know, so much is serendipity, uh, Arvind. You know, so many things in life just happen unplanned. That's right. 
uh, and I've seen some of my some of my best moments in art have just been just out of pure chance. Sure. I, you know, if, if I start to think about all the things that, you know, some of the people I met uh, who have now, you know, come to become my, you know, my best friends or, you know, my most important collectors, everything has happened out of chance. It so, you written. know, luck plays a great role too. Of course, it's an undeniable part uh, of, of um, you know, the way things turn, turn out in life at large. I'm, I'm very interested in knowing um, what you would tell um, young collectors. What should they keep in mind? What should I buy is, is probably the most asked question by new buyers. Yes. You know, what should I buy? Yes. Uh, but it's almost an impossible one to answer. <laughs> sure. Because obviously people people buy art for a variety of reasons. Yes. You know, some buy for aesthetic reasons, some for economical reasons, some yes. for social reasons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to really think of what is your motivation. First and, for, first and foremost, what is your motivation for, for wanting to have art as part of your life? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need to really, you know, think about that because, you know, the direction that your, you know, time and your money takes will depend on your motivation. So I think that's very important to get right. And sure. there's no point in fooling yourself. Uh, you know, there's no value judgment here. Hmm. If you're buying because you think art is a great investment, then, you know, it's going to be a different trajectory. You're going to learn the hard way that it really probably is not. But, you know, that's a different discussion. But you need to be honest with yourself. Sure. You know, is it something that I want to... Just because I love to live with with art, do I want to do it because I think art is another asset class? Or, you know, I just want to live with art because now I want to climb up the social ladder and it's good just to have some signature works by artists around me just so that I it feels like I'm buying into, you know, art and culture. So sure. whatever it may be, once you know your motivation, I think, you know, all the other chips start to fall automatically. Sure. But... You know, when I talk to new uh, new collectors and new buyers, you know, some of the things I, 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 I tell them is, you know, you have to think about, you know, how to, let's say, how do I prepare myself? In anything that we do, we need to prepare ourselves and art is no different. Sure. You know, there's a preparation that goes into, you know, seeing art and, and buying art and, you know, avoiding some of the common mistakes that people make. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, you know, people need to, people need to prepare. People need to set realistic goals, number one, in terms of, you know, what is it that they are uh, trying to achieve? Right. You know, people, you need to have a budget, of course. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are really talking about uh, talking about the new buyer. They need to have a plan. Uh, you know, once you have a budget, you need to decide how, how do I want to spend it? Mm-hmm. What kind of art do I like? Do I want drawings? Do I want photographs? Do I want to buy uh, just small, insignificant works of, of old masters? Or do I want to buy at the top of of young contemporary artists. So there are many, many approaches, you know, in terms of how do I, how do I take that allocated budget that I have and how and where I spend it. And then, you know, like I've touched upon earlier, it's very important to know the past. It's very important to, uh, you know, to have an understanding of history, just so you can assess the present moment and make, uh, make better judgments for the future. Because if you don't know what's come before, it's very difficult for you to know you know, what is likely to come ahead of you. So mm-hmm. you need to have a good understanding of history and you need to know, uh, you know, what art has, uh, what kind of art has uh, happened in the past. Right. And, you know, I think those are some of the things that people need to uh, to think about. And then, of course, you have to, you have to develop an eye. You know, you have to, you know, make sure that you are uh, honing your eye by seeing a lot of work in the flesh, reading, visiting spaces, visiting galleries, visiting museums, 
now there's a you know there are of course many many more opportunities than there were in the past in mm-hmm. terms of biennales and art fairs and there there really is no shortcut event you need to spend your time and you need to spend uh, your intellect and money in actually training your eye uh, and the more you see the better you're going to get you know in terms of sharpening your eye in terms of what is good and what is not so good so these are just some of the some of the basic tools that i would uh, i would suggest to an uh, to a new collector mm-hmm. and uh, you know of course last person but not the least i mean it's very important to keep an open mind mm-hmm. uh, especially with contemporary art Right. because you know the definition of contemporary art and the mediums that that artists employ you know are changing and shifting so it's very important to keep an open mind and you know when you when you go to the gallery or when you go to an exhibition try not to resist the urge to know resist the urge to you know read the wall text and you know gets that's all second hand information sure. try and first see what the artist has presented don't get tempted by the wall text or the wall labels just right. see the work for what it is see what it does to you and then maybe you know once you've seen the work try to take it in perhaps then you can see okay you know who's written what about the work and may, you know maybe may, maybe it, uh, it 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 kind of opens some more doors for you but i think it's important to form your own judgments before extremely sage advice uh, abhay um, and you know one more point that i like to add um, and, and and you can sort of drag that forward is uh, a conversation with the gallerist a conversation with those standing you know representing the art uh you know a lot oh, of certainly. people a lot of people are intimidated by opening a conversation with something silly uh, i think uh, having a conversation with someone on the inside uh, also would be a good idea no, in fact one of the most important reasons and the only reason i actually visit openings is not for the wine and cheese mm-hmm. uh, because of course it's it's, it's 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 a crowded place to even see art but you know i always recommend people go mm-hmm. for the openings but go early if the time is 6 to 9 it's not fashionable it's, it's fashionable to go at 8:39 but go at 6 because sure. that's the time that the gallerist the curator the uh, the artist is likely to be there and likely to have more time yes absolutely so go go early so you can actually spend time uh, you know uh, asking those questions there is nothing like a stupid question it's it's nice to go have a conversation have you know ask some open ended questions but really the only reason to go to openings is for an opportunity and a chance to meet the the the, the creator of the work so that's important you know studio yeah. visits unfortunately are not uh, so common place you know it's not really uh, polite to just show up and you know say hey i'm here and i want to see your work i mean mm-hmm. that's a private space artists are working mm-hmm. but but i think openings are a great way to uh, to come into contact with the, with the work as well, as well as with the creator of the work abhi you've really given um, you know our listeners a fair amount to to work with and um, and it's been it's been a wonderful conversation um, uh have anything in in conclusion that you'd like to share uh, of course you know there 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 are many things that i've learned through my own journey mm-hmm. in terms of you know in terms of uh, things that one should i guess uh, pay attention to but maybe that's that's a conversation for an, uh, for another time because really art art is a yeah, art is a journey and you know you, you have to start somewhere and and when you start you uh, you know you learn you make mistakes and then and then you start to kind of understand you know the 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 path in your own way so i guess it's 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 like you know like we discussed it's 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 it's, it's about just uh, you know jumping in keeping an open mind and and working with what you have there is nothing like uh, too much money or too little money i think there's great great art to be had at every budget mm-hmm. you know people come to me in, you know saying look i've got 10000 rupees what do right. i do believe me there is There are some fantastic drawings you can buy for 10000 rupees there are sure. some lovely etchings 
you know, and prints that you can buy. There's, there's things you can buy for uh, 10 lakhs. And so at every price point, there is amazing work uh, to be had. I would just tell people that, you know, be- best to buy at the top, better to buy, uh, you know, the significant works by, by uh, young and emerging artists than to buy tier three insignificant small work by an established artist. Of course, it's a personal preference, but I've always believed in that. Mm-hmm. Is that you better? You're better off buying, you know, taking a chance with your own eye. Mm-hmm. And whatever money you have, it doesn't matter what the quantum is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all started small, uh, and it doesn't really matter because what you realize is that there's a lot of good work out there. If you are willing to have the patience and you're willing to kind of, you know, take some risks, mm-hmm. uh, you are able to get works at every price point. That's wonderful to know, uh, Abhay. And. Um... I'd like to thank you for, you know, all that you've shared with us. It, uh, it really has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Arvind. Thank you for having me on your show and look yeah. forward to chatting again. Now, if there's anything that you wanted to know about Indian art, but have been too afraid to or haven't known whom to ask, look no further. We're right here at your beck and call. Send us an email on contact at arteryindia.com and we'll get our friendly elves to start working on a suitable response to your question right away. Till you hear from us next, years wishing you all a very happy RT time. And as always, when you think art, think artery.